Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 12th. Now, we actually had to take a moment and try to figure it out because we're like, we had 12 or 13. So we're not quite teenagers. Not quite yet. We're, we're still, still tweens. Um, so make sure you check out our um, TikTok where we... That was brilliant. You did a great job. It was a lot of pictures. fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, but see, the, the thing, like, all of your pictures, like, totally could have been the cute little girl that got kidnapped. I mean, like, like oh, seriously, like, every picture I was like, I was like, I could see that being, like, JonBenet Ramsey's picture. And then mine are like, that girl needs to be kidnapped. You know? No. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, pretending to fall, <laughs> sticking my head in an alligator. I'm like, I don't like all of yours. Mine are, like, very Jenny. They <laughs> are. Those are Jenny poses. They are. So, and I look through pictures of my dad. My dad is always making a goofy face in, like, okay. every picture. And I'm like, I've totally inherited that because I don't think I ever make... A straight face, unless except my little my little holy cross uniform. Yes, that one was. That's how I learned those poses. Yes, this, act nice, look good. Yep, and it's like here's the model, and here's the girl with the sticking her head in the alligator. No, <laughs> it was either that one or the one where I pretend to get hit by a train. That one was fun too. That one was good. Yeah, that was that was so it was, it was a hard it was a hard call and and I've never as you can tell I've never quite figured out how to do my hair. You know, like I can't girl, <laughs> and so it's like I've had the short. I yeah. You, did have, you have very short curly hair. I do have very short curly hair. It's it's definitely, and it's bipolar curly hair. It's very like. Isn't that all curly hair? Yeah. Well, it's like one side decides to curl, the other one decides not to. And, yeah. Yeah. And then I look just even weirder than normal. So we're good. Um, so we're not quite teens. So we'll have to do the full like, you know, teenage, though we did quite a few of them. We but. should have a birthday cake next time to celebrate our 13. I mean, any excuse for yes. cake. Oh, yeah, that works. That works. Um, so, yeah. So, this is Crimes and Closings. I'm Jenny Olson-Payton. I'm Dia Kappelman. And we are going to talk about... Uh, Dia's actually going to be doing this one today. And yes. I'm excited. I've got a... It's, well, I mean, it's not fun, but um, I've got a little twist. Well, see, and I'm thinking, God forbid, if we ever go missing or anything and people are looking at our back through our text messages, because it's like, dude, I've got the best murder for this <laughs> next week. <laughs> I'm so excited to talk to you about this. I'm so excited. Yeah. Yes. It's a little messed up. Okay, speaking of messed up, I need yes. to do, we need to like maybe throw in, we have a couple of, um, what is it, uh, videos where we uh, react. So oh. I got a new, which I haven't gotten out yet, but there's a new one called The Vanishing, or The Vanished, on Netflix that I just saw this morning, and I think I'm going to watch it tonight. Basically, a woman gets on a roller coaster, and when the roller coaster stops, she's gone, nobody can find her. Is it solved? I don't know. Jenny. Whoa, uh, 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 uh. Okay, you watch it first, and then we'll and then do reaction you. videos. Yeah, I'll tell you. If it's not solved, I don't, I don't watch it. I know, but like, getting on an egg, I mean, like, there's only so many places you can go on a roller coaster. None <laughs> of them are good. You have a lot of options. <laughs> None of them are good. So, I'm going to be really interested. So, like I said, tonight is one of those nights. Aaron's back to work today, okay. So he and Zach Bowles tonight, so I think I'm going to go home and... Turn on that and see what see if it's unsolved and I can follow, I can do it for okay text me and see if Let it's worth doing a reaction video too okay okay it won't be as good as abducted no. in plain sight abducted in plain sight three. pretty much gets yeah so that look for that coming soon that's that's one of those that we've got the we got the footage and we're putting it together and it's pretty it's pretty yes we but have fun there's only so many yeah that we can do before we get boring so all right so all right twist. Yes. Yeah. Are you ready for this? I am so ready for this. Okay. And I have no poker face. I have zero poker face. I can't. I give everything away, so I hope that... <clears throat> I know. I hope that I won't do that. I need some water. Sounds good. 
Okay, so we're both well, but I have severe allergies. So and I have allergies. Yeah, from, yeah. So somebody came into me and was like, "Are you crying?" And as I felt like tears running down my face, I'm like, "No, I just have really bad allergies." <laughs> it's fine. Everything is fine. Everything's fine. I swear. All right. All right. Are you ready to learn about Edmund Kemper? Ah, Ed Kemper. Yes. Yes, I'm very excited to learn about Ed Kemper. He is well known in the, um, he is a well known serial killer. Yes. Have you seen it? And he's like, he's creepy. Well, he's kind of like, he looks like a jail warden. He does. He's six foot nine, which is what he's most notably known for. It's just his size. Yeah. Um, But also because he has been very open about doing a lot of interviews. Yes. He's done very, um, documentaries, interviews, everything that he possibly could because he says that he wants to stop somebody else from doing what he did and he would like to do that. So hopefully maybe that's admirable, but... No. No. No, it's kind of like... So he's no. not like he's not Once like, you delve into his psychology, he's also uh, comes across as... He's been diagnosed as narcissistic. Oh, yeah. 100%. So he's also talking about And he has himself. some mommy issues, too. He does have some mommy issues and, and grandmommy issues, but, and it's debated on how bad they really were, because right yeah. now he's the narrator. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he's not super reliable. Yeah. And he also, we'll get into this a little bit later, he was also in charge of handing out psyche vows to fellow inmates, so he started learning what should be said, what could be said, what they wanted to hear. So yeah. when you hear him talk, it's almost like you're listening to... A psychiatrist. What should I be saying to right. get the uh, to get your? Well, and that's the scariest type. I mean, a narcissist who knows what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I would rather go against you know. I'm trying to think of a. I would rather go against Jeffrey Dahmer than Ed Kemper any day. Yes, <laughs> yeah. because he and we'll talk about how he's able to negotiate all of this. There's a lot to talk. Okay. about. Okay, so we are going to. I'm going to give you very um, a Cliff Notes version of his okay. story. There's so much to it. So, I'll try and go through it pretty quickly. Sure. All right. He was born in December 1948 in California. Okay. His parents divorced early, and he started showing extreme cruelty to animals Mm. and had issues with bedwetting. So, if you know anything about the McDonald triad, he's so far two out of the three. Um, And then his mother, who, again, the mental stability and how she treated him is very debated, but overall not great. Yeah. Um, used to lock him in the basement at night because she was scared for their safety. So he either ran away or she shipped him off to his father's house, but that didn't work out because his stepmom just didn't feel comfortable with him being there. He mm. gave off creepy vibes. Don't know why. I how big he was a small child. I mean, like that's um, by the time he was fifteen, I believe he was about six five. Yeah. See, that's the yes. So he already was physically large, but he also was mentally not quite right. He wasn't quite there. Again, we're back to the... He was not. Really? He actually got picked on quite a bit um, because of his size. He was very passive. Hmm. Um, He was not one of these outgoing, charismatic sort of people that we know at this point. Yeah. Um, And... But because of his mental state and his size she didn't feel comfortable again the cruelty to animals i can't there's a several stories and i'm not going to go into yes please but it was it was bad that is my no-no zone yes yeah so we're (laughs) staying away from that um so they then his father shipped 
Kemper off to live with his grandparents, okay. basically his father's parents. Okay. Um, Kemper also stated that his grandmother was overbearing, domineering. Now, I'm not saying that all of this can't be true. Yeah. But he points back to the grandmother and the mother being why he turned out the way when? he did. Well, a lot of people have overbearing parents and still manage not to murder anyone. Hell, a lot of people are overbearing parents. Just ask my boys. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe not to this extent. But... Oh, no. So... In 1963, at 15 years old, Kemper got into a fight with his grandmother. Okay. So, next logical step, he shot and killed her. Oh, we go from one extreme to the other. Uh, being passive to mm-hmm. snapping. Yep. Yes. And that's what he said. He just literally just snapped. Yeah. Um, he said that he had been planning it for a while. So right. He snapped and said... Yes, I'm going to do this, but I'm not doing it yet. And then he decided on that day, today's the day. Right. He then waited for his grandfather to arrive home and then killed his grandfather in the driveway. Oh, my goodness. Not knowing what to do next, he called his mom. Mm -hmm. And his mom said, call the police. Yeah, good plan. So he did. And he waited there for them. The police arrived, took him into custody. And then Kimber explained he just wanted to see what it was like to kill grandma. But he killed his grandfather to save him from seeing his murdered wife. Right. And to see that scene. Well, and probably to avoid getting in trouble, too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He was very concerned about that. Um, He was very paranoid. Yeah. And he said that he would have gone on a killing spree if they had been in a suburban area. This was a very rural area. Yeah. Um, He was so paranoid about everybody looking at him, seeing him, that he would have gone on a killing spree expecting everybody to look at him wrong and know what he did. Right. So he was sentenced to a Tascadero State Hospital as a criminally insane juvenile, and he was diagnosed as paranoid schizophrenic. Okay. They eventually took this diagnosis away, and I think as we've come to know better mental health, I don't buy armchair detective. I don't think he was schizophrenic. Yeah. Um, he did have other mental issues, but right. schizophrenic. Well, narcissism is, can manifest itself in so many different ways. That, exactly. Yeah. It sounds like narcissistic tendencies are... Yes. Are... Um, very paranoid, and I forget they... Uh, what else they diagnosed him with? But he had something else there. So, um, by the time he was 20... Oh, and this is when they were... They found out that he had a very high IQ, 146. Yeah. Wow. And he could carry himself so well... And was um, so obliging to everyone that this is when they let him uh, give the, the psych evals to other patients. The tea guy all over again. It is. It is. So and are we talking physically hand them or actually like... Conducting like, them. Con- okay. okay. Who the hell? <laughs> I don't know. So he, at not only just learning what they wanted to hear, he was also talking to... Um, Violent Have these offenders. people never seen a crime movie? Well, it, I mean, it was it was in the sixties, so maybe they just weren't <laughs> aware yet. But he was also talking to violent offenders and learning what they did and didn't do. Okay, and if that interested him, and also how they should and shouldn't have done those crimes. And so he was taking notes. Again, he's very smart, very brilliant, and so he was conducting himself in a way that made him come across as being completely reformed. Completely trustworthy. Exactly. So, by the time he was 21, 
which literally on his 21st birthday. So he's basically 20. Okay. Yeah. Um, in 1969, he was released because the psychiatrists were convinced he was fully rehabilitated and he was no longer a threat. Yeah. He then went to live with his mother and became a functioning member of society. So his juvenile records were expunged in late 1972. Mm. He was considered well-adjusted, and he'd even tried to become a police officer, but couldn't because he was too tall at 6'9". Wow. But he wanted to be in that world, so he still maintained friendly relationships with the Santa Cruz police. Okay. And that's it for this episode. He went on to the happy normal. We're done. I can I can safely say if you're on this podcast, <laughs> yeah. you do it's not go on to live a happy life. No, no, that's where it should have been because he was rehabilitated. And you know, in in their defense, especially when you know it's not like uh, you know, and it's so hard to sit there and say levels of murder, but it's not like he did. He truly went on a killing spree. There's situational situations. Yes. You know, it's a situational thing that maybe, maybe. You could say he snapped and and he was showing pity to his grandfather. Uh, I mean, yeah. I don't know, but in the span of five or six years, he had them convinced. And then three years later, he was doing so well in life that they expunged his record. Wow. So that was uh, November 1972. Okay. So, now, let's back up about six months to May 1972. Okay. He picked up two female hitchhikers, 18-year-old Marianne Peace and Anita May Luchessa. And then what followed, if you know anything about his story, you know it was very brutal, very graphic. And I'm not going to go into details because we're not that kind of podcast. Yeah. And I feel like the names... I like that. We're not that kind of podcast. No, we're... <laughs> I mean, if you're looking for shopping gore, it's not us. It's not us. But no, it's um, not us. I'm going to use that on more than one occasion. <laughs> it's not us. It's not that kind of podcast. <laughs> How dare you? And I feel like the names are more important to speak about than what 100%. happened to them. 100%. Um, so he picks them up, and for the sake of our podcast, he murdered them and then defiled them mm. in very gross ways. Yeah. And that's what happened six months before his record was expunged. And he didn't stop there. In September of 1972, two months before his record was expunged, he picked up 15-year-old hitchhiker Aiko Koo, managed to lock himself out of the car, managed to talk his way back into the car, even with the gun, even with... Wow. And right there, and she um, ended up being brutally defiled, murdered, and defiled again. Mm-hmm. So police were starting to notice the trend of murdered hitchhikers. When again in October of 1972, another 24-year-old hitchhiker, Mary Guilfoyle, was murdered. But she had been stabbed, dissected, and discarded differently than the previous victims, so there was a change, mm-hmm. but still some similarities. Right. Not a great, not a great, you know, time to hitchhike. No. <laughs> We're coming back to her. Okay. So then in January of 1973, two months after being cleared. Yeah. Uh, 18-year-old hitchhiker Cindy Shaw was again murdered and defiled in mm-hmm. really gross ways. 
One month later, 23-year-old Rosalind Thorpe and 20-year-old Allison Liu took a ride from Kimber, and both were again murdered. Were they together? They were together. Well, you have to think. I mean, I come from a family of very tall, large men. I mean, like, mm-hmm. we're talking, you know, my son is six three you know it is he's much thinner now but he was you know football player he was heavier yes. muscular when he was in high school and you know my dad was six three i, I mean there's a but six nine six nine and these women still got into the car with him but he had said that he picked up over 150 hitchhikers before he started murdering because keeping in he was mind watching. he yeah. was he was learning how to modify his behavior because when he went into the mental facility, he was 15 years old and left as a 21-year-old, he had to learn how to act like an adult. Yeah. And so he honed this, picking up all these women. Could you imagine, like, looking at the news one day and be like, I remember when I took a, a ride to that Grateful Dead concert by yes. that guy. He would be hard to miss because yeah. he was 6'9". And, in fact, um, the daughter of a movie star actually was picked up by him and then when they were talking he realized who she was and decided nope too high profile not gonna do it wow and which is interesting i mean so maybe it's the paranoid narcissist because you would think a narcissist would be like dude guess who i killed exactly it was was the paranoia and we'll say that again pop up later okay um but the police were even saying you know don't hitchhike but then it was a popular thing to do don't hitchhike and go together. Yeah. Even that. Even that didn't help. And make sure that they have a university sticker on the car. That would make them safer. Well, it just so happened his mom worked at the university, so he had a university sticker on the car. So everyone was doing everything. These women did right. what they should have done and were still yeah. murdered. Yeah, well, and nobody could. I mean, he couldn't leave anybody alive because... All they need to say was, he was 6'9". Yes. I mean, it's it's not like he's... And he learned that. He was more interested. He wasn't interested in murdering them, but he learned from the previous he violent offenders that he had to. So, then he started kind of coming to a head with everything and um, didn't want it to continue on. He knew what he was really doing because yeah. he was smart, was trying to kill his mother. Right. So in April of 1973, he decided, well, let's cut the snake off at the head and we will just kill my mother. Freud would have had a hell of a time with him. Oh my goodness, <laughs> I can't even imagine. So he either came home, there's a couple of conflicting stories. Either she came home or he came home. They went to sleep. He waited until she was asleep, then bludgeoned her while she slept. Wow. More horrific things happen. Very vile. And then he went for a drink at a bar, which you would probably need after everything that he did. Yeah. He came back home, invited his friend's mom over, Sally Hallett, and then proceeded to strangle her. Wow. And do vile things. And the reason he murdered the friend was to buy him more time by creating a backstory that the two women had left on a trip together. Mm-hmm. He hid the bodies in a closet and under a bed, and then cleaned up any signs that something was wrong. But then he left police a note admitting that he did it. Hmm. Signed by him. Yes. Yeah, and he was very clear about this had to be done. I did it in her sleep. I didn't want her to suffer. That was another thing he was very concerned about. He did not want his victims to suffer. He wanted them to die quickly, and they did. And then he wanted to do what he needed to do. 
So, yes. But then he fled to Pueblo, Colorado, about a 24-hour trip that he did straight Oy. with guns and ammunition, expecting this big, massive manhunt. Yeah. But on the way to Colorado, he didn't hear any radio chatter about the murders, and he was very confused by this. So once he got there, he called police again to be like... So it's like the paranoia and the narcissistic... Yes, they're rattling. Yeah, they're like havoc. (laughs) Yeah, because he was ready with guns and ammunition, but then he's like, but wait, where'd you guys go? (laughs) And the police were like... You did what? Why don't you just... Who are you? Yeah, just call back later. And literally told him, just call back later. They didn't go check it out. They didn't anything. But that's what he did. He waited several hours and called back later. Oh, my gosh. This time talking to one of his police officer buddies and confessed to him. This police officer believed him. So then once he was taken into custody, he confessed to not only killing the mother and her friend, but also... Six of the seven hitchhikers that I just told you about. Mm, okay. Okay. And the entire time he was very matter of fact, very honest about what he did, explaining it was taking a toll on him. He was ready to just be done. Think about all his cop friends that were like, oh no. It was like, Ann, yes. what is it, Ann Rule being, she worked with Ted Bundy. Yeah. And they were like, you know, they were pretty close. And she's like, so somebody that has that's trained to find people mm-hmm. end up getting fooled by people. It's just amazing. You have to be and, smart. And I, he was, he was very smart and he learned very quickly because of his brilliance how to navigate that world. Right. But I'd be interested to know if there was any signs. Yeah. If people were afterwards like, okay, okay. something went wrong. He was just a real quiet neighbor. Well, he and his mother fought so much. Oh my gosh. That it was so, that they were known to be very loud, very boisterous over there. Wow. Because of their fighting. So then, in November 1973, one year after his record was expunged, he was found guilty of eight counts of first-degree murder. Whoops. Yep. <laughs> California's bad. <laughs> he requested death by torture, but California had abolished the death penalty, so he received seven years to life for each count. Oh, I was going to say, excuse me? <laughs> seven years? No, for each count. <laughs> Um, he is actually still alive. He's incarcerated in California and is next available for parole in 2024. But he has consistently waived or been denied parole for the past 13 times. So let's hope the chain doesn't break on that. Yeah. So, well, and it's, I guess it's good to know that he's trying to waive. I mean, like, you know, some offenders would be like, nah, dude, no, I'm not. I need to just stay right where I'm at. Well, and that's what, it seems like he kind of flips back and forth of, I'm not ready to get out, and then he will say, well, the people aren't ready for me to get out, and then he will try to get out. Yeah. So I guess it's kind of that constant battle in his head, I'm guessing. Well, and he probably, his size is probably working for him in jail, in prison. Yes. And, but it also would work against him in public because, I mean, again, how many 6'9"? Yeah. He is very dis. I mean, like, when you said his name, I'm like, I, I, I immediately see the mugshot. Yes. And it's, it's, yeah. So, <sighs> that is the story of Ed Kemper. But now we have. But there's more. But we have this murder. What happened? Yes. So, any guesses where that murder came from? I don't know. She, Mary Guilfoy, 
was murdered by serial killer Herbert Mullen, who was active at the same time and in the same area as Edmund <gasps> Kemper. Okay, that's just, you know, that, that would be a really hard time to work. You know, you'd be like, now is this Kemper's girl or is this... You know? Mullins. And yeah. when I say same time, and we'll kind of go over the time frame, it was literally same time. Yeah. So it's like one that seems more surgical. Mullins seems more surgical yes. as opposed no, to... No, no, no. Kemper. Kemper. Was surgical? Kemper. Was the one was dissected? Was that one I... Okay, that was Mullen. Mullen dissected, but we'll okay. get into his... Okay. Uh, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This... There's a lot of catchphrases coming up of this. <laughs> We are not that podcast. <laughs> there are a lot of things we are. I am not that kind of girl. <laughs> but that is not one of them. <laughs> um, so, and... I'm designing the shirt right now. <laughs> not that podcast. I'll wear it. Let's do it. I'm down. And the funny thing is, so this is all going on in 72, 73 in Santa Cruz, California. Yeah. This is actually two years after John Lindley Frazier... Murdered a family of five in Santa Cruz. There's a lot that kind of happened in that California area. Oh, yeah. Because you still have three years earlier in 69, you have the Tate-LaBianca murders by the Manson family. And the Zodiac Killer was on his spree in San Francisco. So within the span of five years, you have this massive serial killer. And Frazier and LaBianca, I mean, technically weren't. Serial killers, but just yeah. mass murderers. Yeah. yeah, it was rough. Ma- Manson is a Manson's a hard hard one to swallow. Yeah, that's one that we need an entire season to unpack. Oh, so. I don't even want to. People talk about him. I've already talked about yeah. him enough. Well, they actually have there's ties in Kansas City. Um, because, really? Yeah, one of the Folgers, um, the Folgers heiress, I guess, was one of the ones that. Um, oh, I yeah. do think I remember. That. She was at Sharon Tate's house. Yeah. That's right. Oh, that's right. Oh. Yep. Yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting one. Jeez. Okay. All right, so then back to Mullen. Um, he was born in 1947. He's a year older than Kemper. And he had a very normal upbringing. Oh, that's even scarier. And was voted most likely to succeed. So at the same time, this is I would love to delve into the psychology of both of these, and I feel like it could almost be a whole season. So yeah. they are running parallels at the same time, but polar opposites, where Kemper had this very horrific childhood. Yeah. Uh, Mullen had a very normal childhood. Interesting. And so nature and nurture in these stories would be fascinating. But anyway, yeah. um, voted most likely to succeed in high school, but in his late teens. Do you play football? Ooh. I think maybe he did. Head injury? I wonder if we have a head injury. Might have been. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because he started showing signs of schizophrenia. Yeah. Well, I know that comes later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Late teens. And when his friend was killed in a car wreck after graduation, that's really seemed to be what started his downward spiral. Yeah. He started getting into um, Eastern philosophy, reincarnation, and that's when he started kind of his... Yeah. And um, then this seems to become more of a nature thing. Okay. There's debate on nature and nurture for Kemper, but I believe with Mullen it was more yeah. nature. Um, because at ni- in 1969, at the age of 22, he was admitted to his first mental hospital. Okay. And then proceeded to bounce around to another four after being discharged because he wasn't a threat to himself or to others. Oh, Lord. So then in 1972, he moved back in with his parents. 
And by this time, he was really not all there yeah. mentally. Really having some issues hearing voices. Yeah. Um, he was more of what schizophrenia looks like as right. opposed to what they diagnosed. Well, then you have drug with. use, a pretty extensive drug use in California at that time, too. Um, yes, and he was very big on hallucinogens. Mm-hmm. He had started with pot and then LSD and mushrooms came in to yeah. play. And that did not help. Right. And his birthday was April 18th, which was the birthday of the anniversary of the 1906 San Francisco earthquake. And that became a huge part of his life and huh. his psyche about what it meant that he needed to do. Because he believed the Vietnam War had killed enough Americans to prevent another earthquake. Gotcha. But with it winding down, at least for us, in late 1972, he would have to start killing people again to prevent another earthquake. So we're talking just very off thinking. Yes. Um, and the, he believed he was told all this by his dad through telepathy. Gotcha. And even the... It's not funny, but I'm just, I'm just picturing this kid watching TV staring at his dad. (laughs) His dad's like, dude, I'm trying to drink my beer and enjoy life. Yeah, what are you staring at me for? Meanwhile, he's thinking, I need to kill people. I see what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. And the thing is, I mean, the telepathy part aside, he's single-handedly going to pick up where an entire war has left off. Oh, a war of a war. <laughs> yeah, not even not even a small war. Yes, a very big one. And he's like, it's all up to me now. I got to take care of this. Wow. So, in October of 1972, he bludgeoned 55-year-old Lawrence White after Mullen pretended to have car trouble and asked Lawrence White for help. Okay. So the first one was bludgeoning. Then later in October is when he killed Mary, the hitchhiker, and then um, he did dissect her and yeah. leave her remains. So, so far now he's got two different... So we're going to have to step killing. up our game if we're competing with the Vietnam War for yes. one account. Yeah. So then in November, he was questioning his father's orders. They just didn't seem right that he would have to kill these people. So he went to, so he went to the Thanksgiving table and he's like. <laughs> <laughs> and his dad's like, dude, stop staring. Actually, there, there are, um, he was showing signs, funny you say that, at, of schizophrenia at Thanksgiving with his family, um, mimicking everything that his sister's either uh, boyfriend or husband was saying and was being very inappropriate in many different ways and they thought something was was, off yeah something's off yeah yeah they thought he wasn't acting right but mentally it it was more symptoms yeah um so it's funny you say thanksgiving because there were issues there yeah um so then when he was questioning what his father was telling him to do he went to speak with a priest when the priest volunteered to be the next sacrifice, Mullen obliged... Telepathically, of course. Telepathically. Okay. Mullen obliged by beating and stabbing the priest to death. Then in January of 1973, he tried to drive to a friend's house, the friend that originally introduced him into marijuana, okay. and he wanted to have a conversation with him about why would he do that. Uh, he knocked on the wrong door, and Kathy Francis answered, and also offered to be the next sacrifice, along with her two children, David and Damon. Hmm. And Mullen shot all three. Then made it down to the correct house and proceeded to shoot his friend and his wife. Yikes. 
Next, in February of 1973, he was hiking and came across Robert Spector, who was 18, Brian Card was 19, David Olicker at 18, Mark Dreibelbus at 15. Wow. They, they, four of them, they were camping illegally. He confronted them. They stood their ground. So the next day, Mullen came back and shot all four. Oh. And then... The last one, Mullen was driving down the street, and he saw 72-year-old Fred Perez working in his garden. So Mullen pulled a U-turn, parked across from Frank, set up his rifle on the hood of his car, and shot Frank once through the heart. Good night. Yes. Uh, Neighbors saw everything, recorded the license plate. Uh, The police pulled Mullen over shortly afterwards, and he had his rifle and his pistol in the passenger seat, but he didn't try to resist arrest. Well, that's good. He went very calmly, and they described him as docile. And he admitted to all of his kills, but police hadn't been able to link together that there's a serial killer because there seemed to be no link between the victims. Yeah, we're talking anywhere from bludgeoning to Yeah, the weapons and the style kept changing as well. So there was zero connection between all of them. Wow. And had no clue that there was even another serial killer loose while Kemper was on the loose. Wow. In 1973, late 1973, he was convicted of 10 murders and pled guilty to one. He was sentenced to life imprisonment and has been denied parole eight times. Wow. So, then, this is fascinating to me. Um, They were sentenced at almost exactly the same time Mm -hmm. and in the same place. So, they went to the same prison and shared adjoining cells at one point. And Kipper didn't like Mullen. And he will openly complain about Mullen. And I'm like... What gives you the right to complain about anything? But the thought of somebody annoying Kemper really makes me happy. (laughs) I hope he just... But he was severely annoyed by him. He thought Mullen was faking hearing God and believing in earthquakes. And he was just, quote... I just just picture that him just being like, dude, it's going off about the God thing again. No, I'm not telepathically telling you to do this. What the hell? <laughs> no, that's seriously yeah. how Kemper talks about Mullen. Is he called it BS? He was like having none of it. Meanwhile, Mullen is over there hearing voices, not oh excusing gosh. what Mullen did. But I feel like Mullen probably has some ground to stand on yeah. if the voices told me to do it. Yeah. And Kemper just um, quote, "He's just a cold-blooded killer, killing everybody he saw for no good reason." What did you do? So, Kemper's personality. Kemper even liked to bully and manipulate Mullen. And one example of this was um, Kemper's own words quote, Well, Mullen had a habit of singing and bothering people when somebody tried to watch TV. So I threw water on him to shut him up. Then, when he was a good boy, I'd give him some peanuts. Herbie liked peanuts. That was effective because pretty soon he'd ask permission to sing. That's called behavior modification treatment. End quote. <laughs> it's a good thing they allowed him to do those uh, psychedels, yes. <laughs> so all of that is the story of two serial killers in nice. Santa Cruz active at the same time. Two, two, two stories in one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. That's awesome. Do you like that? I, I was very proud of that little twist. Yeah. Everybody talks about it. Kimber, yeah. but not a lot of people. Yeah, I, I don't think I could pick Mullen out of crowd. 
No, I mean maybe the if he's staring at me awkwardly, thinking I'm telepathically talking. Um, he looks very similar to Manson. Oh, oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, Kemper, like if you look at his mug, mug shot, he he looks like a big. He's a big guy. He's a big teddy bear, actually. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, you look at Mullen's mug shot, and you're like, oof. So I kind of wonder how many people, because you know, like especially with Ed Kemper's ability to, I guess, sweet talk. Yes. I wonder how many like marriage proposals he's had. Oh. I know. I know. I can't even imagine. And I'm sure he enjoys every single one of them. Yeah. Yeah. But I would think a lot. Yeah. So that's the story. And, I mean, diving into nature versus nurture on both of them, both very similar at the same time, but very... Yeah. And very different mental health issues. I mean, we're talking Mm -hmm. about the whole spectrum of... You know, and it's I mean, schizophrenia is scary as hell. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you when you think about some of the effects that, and then when you you mix it with hallucinogens, you yes. know, I I just I would not want to be a police officer in the 1970s California. No, they had a rough time. <laughs> it was California was not a pretty place. No, no, I I yeah, I would just be like I'm like I'm going to Kansas City, Missouri, where there's nothing going on. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I guess we had that was later in the eighties. We had um, Berdella. Berdella. We yeah. had Berdella, and we had Grissom. Yeah. And Grissom is the one that very. I, I'm actually tempted to take that one on because okay. a lot of people seem to forget Grissom. They always think yes. Berdella. So Grissom was pretty much the height of when I started becoming. Grissom was probably the first case that got me involved in true crime. Okay. Because it was hitting about the same time. I was probably eight or nine, and so I remember hearing it all over the radio stations, mm-hmm. and it was like. I mean, there's actually people out there that murder other people. And pe- I mean, so it was like, it was one of those, you know, for a while there, my parents were concerned that I needed help. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, that I would, uh, I would be concerned too. Well, and did I ever tell you about the ocular migraines? I probably told yes. you. So I had the ocular migraines on top of everything else in which I saw things. And being a highly creative child that loved true crime and murder and mystery. Yeah. Some of your hallucinations? Yeah, some of my hallucinations were... And like I said, thank God for my allergist because, you know, my mom was like, dude, she's seeing bodies from trees. And the allergist is like, wait a second. She's having ocular migraines and everything, put everything together. So thank God for that. But Yes. Yeah. You would have been a witch 300 years ago. I would have been burned at the stake long ago. (laughs) So that's awesome. We can laugh about that (laughs) casually now. We are that kind of podcast. We are... Yeah, that is us. <laughs> you remember that time we were almost hospitalized for hallucinations? <laughs> hallucinations. That's us. That's us. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's cool. So, what are we seeing in the market right now? I mean, it's this. I feel like everybody's taking this big breath. Yes. And we're in that period where everybody's like holding it because I feel like, especially with short sales and foreclosures, I mean, I can see the tidal wave coming. Mm-hmm. It's just not here yet. I agree. Yeah. So what are you seeing with like um, buyers and sellers offers? Um, I'm seeing a lot more. I'm seeing inspections start to come back. Yeah. Thank God. Slowly, but um, they are coming back. Yeah. That's nice to see. Um, I haven't seen an appraisal waiver for a while Good. now. Good. So that seems to be also calming down um, in its present condition, which we, that's the funny thing. We talked about this yeah. a couple months ago. Those are starting to be. Isn't that nice to say? Yes. When our podcast a couple months ago. Now that <laughs> yes. we can you imagine when we hit our hundredth episode, we're gonna be like, way back in the day <laughs> when we used to. <laughs> Before we had somebody handling all our social media and video editing. 
if you know of anyone that yeah. wants to work for free. <laughs> I, I think you're doing a great job, though. It's not bad. You're doing a great job posting. The video editing is a little rough. I think it's a little rough. Everything we do is rough. That's also our podcast. Yes, we are that podcast. <laughs> we are rough. We need snacks. And, because what you can see right now, we started off very professional. We did. We were talking about this. our water. Mm-hmm. And now what you can't see is it's just snacks. There's some cheese wrappers. Everywhere. <laughs> some snacks. Yeah. It's some unopened mail. I, yeah. It's... <laughs> yeah. Our professionalism. We're letting it go. The honeymoon period's over. <laughs> we're letting our freak flag fly. Yeah. As, as it should. Yes. Yes. Pay for us. So yeah, well, and one of the things I'm, back to real estate, one of the things I'm seeing is this huge increase in BPOs, or mm-hmm. HR requested BPOs. Yes. Um, I'm getting probably three or four offers a day to Which go up. BPO stands for? Broker price opinions. Basically, we see a lot of that. We see some of that with refinancing. We see some of that with, um, you know, just sometimes banks just kind of checking on their, um, what the, their houses. Um, but mainly we see them when there's a default. So the people want to make sure that the banks want to make sure that the house is being taken care of. So they send an agent out to kind of give them an idea of what the value is and anything glaring. You know, if the house is vacant and destroyed and that way we can kind of report back. So I'm seeing just a huge, huge increase in those, which means that that tidal wave is coming. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, you're hearing a lot about the market shift and it, it, it truly is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is still... We you haven't know. crested that wave. No, we haven't crested the wave at all yet. So it's still, you know, there's still a couple of people in like my Blue Spring buyers, you know, it's, we're still not quite there where it's going to be more of a buyer's market. It's still definitely a seller's market, but we're starting to come a little bit, even up a little bit. Yeah, which is really nice to see. Interest rates are up a little bit more. That yeah. is scaring off buyers, but it, in the grand scheme of things, it's still affordable right now. Yeah, still affordable, and what goes up must come down, so you, yes. you refinance later on. There you go. Yeah, so that's what I think a lot of people are scaring people off, going, oh, no, you can always refinance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the market, the market... Thank God it'll shift. We might have a couple of rough years, but the market will, or the interest rates will start coming down again. Yes. So. Everything's um, cyclical. Yeah. Well, and, and it's not like, I mean, my parents were paying like 18% when I was yes. born. I mean, I can't even imagine, and we've never seen anything like that. So, yeah. um, as long as I've been doing this. So, so yeah. But, so in two weeks, it's going to be me again. I'm, yes. I might do Grissom. We'll have to see, but I have a couple, and I'll give an update on the vanishing. It's either the vanished uh. or the vanishing. Uh, but I was I when I get ready in the morning I'll be putting my makeup on and I'll be playing TikTok, and yeah. so TikTok this morning and I should I need to tag whoever it was because it was great I hadn't seen him before, but I was scrolling through and it was like Netflix documentary you should watch now and it's like how does one disappear on a roller coaster? I'm gonna it'll drive me crazy. Yeah. I don't it has to be solved or we can't do it. Yeah, I have a feeling you know we'll be on the phone at like nine o'clock at night popcorn. Can you believe it? <laughs> We do that about life anyway. <laughs> we don't have to watch a documentary to say that. So, no, our, our life is, we are that podcast. <laughs> so, so, yeah, watch for new merch. <laughs> we'll be coming soon. So, um, and you guys have a great rest of the week. Stay cool out there. Uh, yeah. 106. Mm-hmm. I was talking to a friend of mine in Oklahoma. It was 115 yesterday. Nice. Like, no, thank you. No. No, I'm thank done. you. Yeah. I'm done. Weird. Give me October. October's perfect. Well, because everybody in winter's like, I can't wait for hot weather. I can't yeah, wait. No. Can you be more specific about the hot weather? Yeah. Maybe like. Bowels of hell is not yes. appropriate hot weather. I want, I want, like I said, I'm, I'm good about March, April, and October. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, because I just, I'm not a, I'm not a happy hot person. 
No, nobody is happy right no. now. No, no, and I had so I had this sleep. I did I I sent you that picture. I did a sleep study a yeah. couple of days ago, and so between the heat and then having all these like tubes, tubes and stuff, I was so not happy. And my husband was just like, "Will you lay down and go to sleep?" And I was like, "Getting out, I can't readjusting everything angrily and <laughs> sweating and was not sweating a, angrily, sweating angrily. It was not a pretty picture, but um, yeah, it was definitely definitely interesting. So yes, yeah, stay cool. Have fun. Um, if you guys have anything you want us to cover, uh, crimesandclosings at gmail.com. And um, we're always here for um, entertainment and love to hear what you guys suggest. Yes. So have a great rest of the day. See you later. Bye.